So, uh, so we've been going through a series called Make Life Better. Our, our kind of core text has been from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And, and Jesus, uh, he sometimes presents things to us which he claims are, are better or the good thing to strive for. And our feelings don't always agree with what Jesus says about our reality or what would actually be better. And, and, and then Jesus goes into this series of saying like, right, you've heard uh, that you shouldn't murder, but I tell you. And then, and then he brings further clarity to the intent of what that law was, of what the purpose of that law was when it was originally written. And, and in many cases, it seems as though he just completely ups the ante on, on the expectations on us as people. Like, like, what do you mean? Like, okay, I was fine with not murdering people, Jesus. That wasn't something I, I struggle with every day. But you're telling me I, I need to now resolve these anger issues that I have? And, and he seems to just up the ante. And, and today we're going to see Jesus claim something. Uh, he's going to up the ante again in regards to an area of our lives. And, and you probably won't believe him. Uh, at least you won't likely believe him every moment of your life. Uh, it's going to be something that we're going to need to be persuaded in Jesus' love for us and his good character and what he's already demonstrated for us uh, in order for us to really trust that this is true because you will not feel that this is true uh, every day of your life. We've got some Bibles being passed out, so if you want, you can grab those uh, to follow along. And actually, oh, I'll start with an easy one. Uh, let's open up to uh, Genesis chapter 2 uh, in those Bibles, your Bible. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Uh, the, the blue ones that are being passed out are New Living Translation. I think it's interesting to kind of hear and, and listen to and read a couple different translations anyway. Uh, so here we go. So today we're going to be talking about about marriage, and uh, so if, if you're a visitor, the good news is I don't know anything about you yet, right? Like, I don't know about your marriages, so, uh, so this isn't me like, I'm really gonna, mm, I can't wait for so-and-so to show, I don't know. So hopefully this is something that the Holy Spirit intended for you to hear that's gonna be a blessing to you today, and, and those of you who I do know, I don't ever write sermons trying to like pinpoint like, I know who I'm really going to be preaching about. This is going to be my passive-aggressive Facebook post equivalent of a sermon where I'm going to say, oh, what I really hate is this, and everyone knows who I'm talking That's not at all what I do, right? We all come here before the Lord to, to submit to His Word and what He says and, and uh, allow that to be the standard uh, that changes us and challenges us and produces growth and, and health in us. So, so today we're going to talk about marriage, and in case you didn't know, marriage is, is a good thing. All right, that's a, it's, marriage is a gift. Uh, marriage is this wonderful thing that God gave us, and it's, it's the first thing that he had created after recognizing in his world the lack of something that was good. Right After, after all of the, the creation story, and you can read it this week in Genesis 1 and 2, after he created things, he would say, this is good. Right? This is very good. Like he, would, he would recognize the things that he made as, as being good things. And, and marriage, or the lack of marriage specifically, was the first thing he recognized about his universe and said, it's not good that marriage does not exist yet. So marriage is this gift that God gave to the world. So I want to just, just read this passage to you in Genesis 2, 18. It says, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. 
So the first thing God recognized about the world he made that wasn't good, that wasn't up to par, was the lack of marriage. So marriage is this good gift. It's the first human relationship that God made on the earth, and it was meant to be a good thing. And it is a good thing. And it's this wonderful thing that God made that's meant to be enjoyed, even in the fallen world that you and I now live in. Because the world that we live in is not the way that God had originally made it. It is, it is less good, significantly so, than God had originally intended. But even though he knew that that was going to happen, he still knows that marriage is this good and wonderful gift that he gives. And so he says, right, it's not good that man should be alone. He's going to make a helper uh, fit for him. And God recognized this lack of goodness. But he kind of needed to persuade Adam that he was lacking something. And so God ends up like saying like, hey, like I'm going to have you just name all of the animals, right? And, and Adam comes to the realization like, yeah, none of these animals are quite the companion that I need. I see companions among the animals, but I am lacking something. God needed Adam to be persuaded that he was missing out on something as well. Otherwise, if God just gave the gift, Adam would just be going, oh, I don't know, like, I guess that's okay, God. Like, I didn't really need anything right now. Uh, but he made that need apparent in the heart of Adam. If you skip down to verse 24, then this is kind of what God says after he creates Eve, right? He says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And so God uh, creates marriage. God created the world. God created people. God created you and I. And God, as the designer, as the engineer, defines uh, the purpose and intent and the goodness and the design of, of marriage in this relationship. And, you know, I'm not here to, to pick on anybody. We love everybody. But I do want to point out that he did set the boundaries of marriage as intended for a, a man and a woman and, and to only have two people involved. So it's not like a club where a whole bunch of you are, yeah. Uh, so that's not the way that it was designed. And, and it's meant to be a relationship that is this good gift in which two people are able to be together and unashamed, where they're able to be open and honest with each other, where they're not shielded and guarded and hiding their hearts from each other, that they're not uh, persisting and lying, right? That they're, they're willing to be unashamed. And so Jesus, uh, who we believe is God, all right? He, he was God, uh, born on the earth, became a man, right? Lived a perfect life, died for you and I, uh, paying the penalty for the things that we did wrong, so that we could have his righteousness, that we could be made right with God and have a relationship with God. Jesus, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus loves you, right? Jesus loves me. Jesus died for us when we were his enemies. So like, you know, when it comes to like Jesus, I'm like, all right, I guess Jesus cares for me quite a bit. Uh, and I want to let you know that Jesus is pro-marriage. Jesus is pro uh, the good gifts that God gives us. That Jesus would not have anything good be withheld from those who are righteous. That God isn't withholding, he's not holding back, he's not, saying, you know, he's not trying to be a jerk and doesn't want us to have fun. God gives us good things uh, when it is good and, and Jesus is all for that, right? That, that God gave us a world for us to enjoy, it talks about in 1 Timothy 6. And so marriage is this relationship that Jesus wants us to enjoy. He wants us uh, who are called to marriage to receive that, that good gift. And as a result, Jesus is also like against divorce. 
He is not for you missing out on the gift that God would give you. He is, he is against the idea of you rejecting the good gifts that God would give you. And now, side note, just for uh, those of you who might be in a season of singleness or if you've been called to a life of singleness like Jesus was or, or Paul was single for what appears to be much of his life, if not all of it. And, uh, and singleness is also a gift, all right, just so you're aware. It's not like you're out of the club because you might not be married right now or, or maybe won't ever be. That is a possibility. Some people are called to that life. And Paul indicates that singleness is also a gift in 1 Corinthians 7. So, so don't feel like, oh man, like it's not good that I'm alone, uh, whatever all of this, and don't imply and carry that logic out necessarily because that might be a gift that you're called to. Now, if God has placed desires in your heart, maybe there is a future spouse for you that he's, he's intending for you. All right, and you should uh, continue to pursue that dream or that goal that you have. Uh, but I would most encourage you, instead of just looking for the right person, invest in becoming the right person, right? You don't want to be like, you know, the short end of the stick, like the bad deal that someone else gets stuck with when they do come around. Uh, so, so, like, one of the best things that you could do in a season of singleness is, is like, work on you. Just, like, fall in love with Jesus and, and just be out on adventure with him and uh, becoming more like him. So, so here we go. Let's get to Jesus' text. This is in Matthew chapter 5. I don't know. It's probably like page 800 or something in those blue Bibles. I didn't look it up. Maybe it's 500. I don't know. I don't know. I usually pick on Robin and have her tell us the page number. But 579. 579. She's quick. All right. <laughs> uh, so Matthew chapter 5. Uh, this is in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And you can kind of skim around if you want to uh, just to kind of see where it is and get context. I'm fine, by the way, if the Holy Spirit's teaching you better than I am. Uh, so if you're like frantically writing notes and getting ideas as you're reading other things, like I'm not going to be offended. Uh, if, you're, if you're on your cell phone playing Angry Birds or something, though, or Pokemon Go, then I'd be like, hey, come on, come on now, come on, right? Uh, Matthew 5:31. So uh, Jesus says, it was also said, so he's kind of continuing his thought in this pattern. He says, whoever uh, divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. So that was kind of the old standard. It's like, all right, you don't want to be with someone, then you don't want to be with them. And then just, just, write, just give them a piece of paper at least. Uh, and then, right, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be around anymore, but here, you can hold this piece of paper and that'll be better. Uh, but he says, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, so he's making a broad claim, a generality that is going to apply to most situations. And then he says, except, so there's, there's some exception, on the ground of sexual immorality, right? So uh, adultery. Uh, he, uh, if anyone divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So, so this is like, wait, wait a minute, like Jesus, like you want me to be like stuck with someone the rest of my life, even if I don't want to be with that person? Like Jesus, I don't understand. Why are you like boxing me in? You're kind of like limiting me here and you're telling me that it would be wrong in most cases for me to divorce my spouse right like and so that feels restrictive that feels like jesus i don't think you know what you're talking about like you don't know what i'm going through and and there are like i said exceptions and but the generality the the general case is that jesus loves you jesus wants you to enjoy the good gifts that god gives you and jesus is against divorce because he wants you to enjoy the gift of marriage 
All right, that, that's what Jesus would claim. Now, I recognize it won't always feel like a gift. All right, it won't, <laughs> you're not always persuaded that the person that you got stuck with is, is the best. And you're kind of like, man, I don't know, like, Jesus, this feels a little bit less like a gift today and more like a punishment or a burden or I don't know what's going on. And this is, by the way, Katie and I are cool church family. I feel like whenever I preach about this, I'm always like, don't worry, this isn't like, Mur. I love my wife. She loves me. We're good. Uh, but here we go. Jesus uh, doesn't want us to get divorced. All right. So Jesus doesn't want us to get divorced. This is a good thing that he's called us to. And he's putting it in the category of not just a good idea, not just like Jesus giving you advice, but he's putting it in the category of like morally right or wrong, which is like, whoa, like, come on, like Jesus, I would have been, maybe I would have appreciated it if you just like gave me your opinion or something. But like for you to tell me I'm wrong, like I don't feel like you're my friend right now, Jesus. You know, you might feel like, like Jesus is just getting in your business a little too much, right? But check this out. Let's skip uh, over to Matthew chapter 19. Uh, another instance and, and the topic comes up. And so we're just going to hear, what does Jesus have to say about this, right? Uh, and, and so Matthew 19, so just flip a few pages, you'll find it. <coughs> verse 1, it says, uh, and I'm intentionally starting with verse 1 here. It says, now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered into the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him, and he healed them there, right? So, like, this is, like, a really cool day. Like, Jesus shows up in town. Everyone's going out to hear him preach. The sick are coming and being healed, right? Like, the blind are getting sight back. The, those who are crippled are able to walk, and, like, Jesus is doing all this awesome stuff. And then, like, this is so funny to me. It says, verse 3, and the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful for one to divorce one's wife for like any cause? Can, can like we just divorce someone for any reason whatsoever, Jesus? And, and I just find this amusing, like, like Jesus is doing like these miracles and they're like, yeah, I know Jesus is kind of cool that you just healed that blind guy, but what about like divorce, right? And like they're trying to like get him to make a stance that's going to upset or split the crowd or whatever, right? They're trying to just catch him in his words somehow. And, uh, and I just think that's amusing, like that these people, like kind of the stuck up uh, religious elite people that didn't like Jesus, they were jealous of Jesus, uh, that they, they're, you know, ignoring the fact that God is doing these miracles in their midst. And, and I find that interesting. Now, now why would Jesus' opinion matter? Now, these guys were disingenuous with their question, uh, but why should we listen to Jesus? Right, like why, why do I, like, you know, you might think like Jesus died like 2,000 years ago. Like, why do I care? How does he even know what I'm going through right now? Why does that matter to me? And, and one of the things I'd want to point out is that, that Jesus was healing the sick, right? That Jesus would just be able to miraculously, like, heal those who were oppressed by the devil, it says in Acts 10, 38. That, that Jesus would just show up and demonstrate God's authority on the earth. Right, like that God as the creator of everything has authority to like just kind of reprogram the world as he sees fit. That he can just override, right? He can just turn the, the you know, solidity of water uh, from a zero to a one on the program and make, make it concrete and Jesus can just walk on it and it's no challenge for him because he's demonstrating God's authority in the earth that God made, okay? And, and so, so Jesus, his opinion matters 
because he's demonstrating that like, wait a minute, he's like doing things that the rest of us just don't do, right? Jesus can do things that only the person who engineered or designed or created the world would be able to do, right? So, so like, that's one of the reasons. And then another reason why we as believers would care about Jesus's opinion is because he claimed to be God, right? And he was then murdered because of that claim. He predicted that he would be raised from the dead after he died, and then he was actually raised from the dead. So, so it's just kind of like, all right, that guy kind of seems to know what he's talking about. He kind of seems to be God. Like, we don't just believe anyone who, like, if someone just stood up here and was like, I'm God, by the way, like, we'd be like, no, no, like, I don't think so. Uh, but when Jesus proved that he was God, it was like, all right, maybe we should listen to this guy. Maybe he knows what he's talking about, right? Because God knows things uh, more than I would, right? God describes of himself in the Old Testament that he knows the end from the beginning, and he's able to describe it in prophecy, right? He could write down the things before they happen because he's God. He's outside the bounds of time, right? He's able to break the laws of our universe by healing the sick and walking on water and being raised from the dead because he's God, where you and I are bound within this reality, right? And so it's like, okay, you know, this is my first time through life. I'm probably figuring it out. But if I could talk to the person who designed life, like if I could talk to the one who was the engineer, like that person would probably know more than me, right? And so, so that's why Jesus' opinion matters. And notice in verse 4, <coughs> I like this. Man, I, li I like Jesus, by the way. I don't know if you guys do that. Uh, he answered, have you not read? And so Jesus answering this question, uh, he doesn't just share his opinion. He says, have you not read? And he doesn't say, have you not read like Oprah's most recent magazine? Like, he doesn't say, have you read, like, a Facebook poll, or have you read the comments on a YouTube video about divorce? Uh, he didn't say, like, have you read, like, the latest psychological journals and, like, the implications that divorce has. He doesn't say, even though I love data, he didn't say, like, have you read, like, the latest, like, scientific analysis and data and consensus and, you know, like, like he didn't say that. He says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. And he said, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. H haven't we just read that? I think we did. Where, where is Jesus talking from? He's talking from Genesis, the beginning of the Bible. The guy who claimed to be God was raised from the dead and demonstrated that he's God says, the answer to these significant questions that relate to how we live our lives now can be found in what we can read in the Old Testament. That it's a good idea to look at what the Bible says about reality. That Jesus is claiming here that uh, we shouldn't just follow our feelings or culture or convenience, that, that reality is better described by what God wrote than what I feel or what I would want to be true. Okay, that, that Jesus is basically saying that the world that was spoken into existence, our world, is described in what was written. And so if I want to live in the reality of this universe, the best way I can do that is if I read what God says about it. 
if I read what the engineer describes, he made it like. All right, so, so Jesus says, right, have you not read? And he references Genesis, right? And I realize, like, if, if, if you start believing the Bible, you probably didn't start believing the Bible because you read Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Right, like that's probably like a more far-fetched thing for you to come to the conclusion. Like if I just got a book and I read that, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Right, the reason I believe Genesis is because I believe Jesus and Jesus believed Genesis. All right, like I think Jesus will persuade you that he is trustworthy, that he loves you, that he cares about you. And then like eventually you're like, well, maybe I should like believe what Jesus believes. Right? I don't think that we as a culture like, accept the book of Genesis just like, you know, just, oh, that's a good idea, I guess, I don't know. Uh, we believe it because Jesus has right, proven who he was. He's proven that he's trustworthy. And now I'm just going to trust the things that Jesus says. Okay? So, so when Jesus talks about marriage and divorce, he references right, how marriage was designed. And so, so God wants you to stay married if you've been married. And, and so this is what Jesus says in verse 6, okay? On the basis of what was written, he says, So they are no longer two but one flesh, and what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Okay, so based on the reality we live in, based on God's design of this good gift marriage, Jesus says, like, hey, like, God brought you together like, why would you have authority to break what God made? Right? Like, this was God's design. This was God's plan that you shouldn't separate. So, so he views God as being the one that's in authority over marriage. God's the one that designed marriage. And I don't have authority to redefine it. I don't have authority to, to break what God has made. And so, like I said earlier, if marriage is this good gift from God, then the removal of that gift is less than good, right? If I take away the good thing that God gave me, then I'm not making my life better. I'm subtracting from my life. That if you want to make your life better, divorce is likely not going to be the means to make that happen, right? That if you have like a goal for this coming year, like divorce isn't going to be the thing that's likely going to make your life better. And, and what's interesting is if I pulled anyone in here, probably anyone in this town, uh, just the single people, right? Even like, right, even probably like 10-year-olds would know this. Like if you ask them like, do you think like you'd want to get divorced in your future? Right? Like they'd probably be like, no, like I don't want that to be my plan for my life. Like that doesn't sound like a good idea. Right? If I ask anyone who's single, like, even if you've been divorced, right? Even if you just went through that, and, and like, if you were thinking of getting married again, you're probably not hoping to get divorced again. Right? You're probably not thinking, like, this is a great idea. Like, this is my, my five-year plan is get married. My ten-year plan is get divorced. Like, that's not anyone's plan. Like, all right? The, the Bible says that God, actually, his heart is broken. God hates divorce because he brought people together and and I want to let you know like divorced people don't like divorce right like it's not something that is celebrated it's not something that's desired it's not something that like in your plan for your life you're not like I think I want to commit adultery someday but yet for some reason 
when we're caught in the midst of our feelings and our reality is not per, like correctly understood or perceived by us, we then start to think that those are good ideas. We might start to think like, you know, I think I kind of do want this. And, and we might not be having the big picture, the, 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 the image that God would have of it in perceiving that, that it is this, this actual good gift. And so fortunately, they asked a follow-up question to Jesus. Verse 7, it says, they said to him, why then did Moses uh, command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? Right, like, you can give Jesus a little pushback. Like, that's okay. Like, he's not going to be mad at you if you ask him questions. Right, like, you can, you can tell God when you're upset, when you're angry. Right, like, God understands that. Okay, so, like, they, they give him some pushback. And, and verse 8, he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. So, so the only reason divorce ever existed was because of the hardness of our hearts, that it was less than good. It was, it was not the original intent or design for marriage. And so, so like if you read that and you're looking to like justify what might be a sinful divorce, right? Some of them aren't, okay? But if you were looking to justify a sinful divorce, you, you know, this wouldn't be like the moral high ground to stand on and be like, see, Jesus says I can get divorced because my, my heart is so hard. Like, that's not like, oh, oh, man, that, I was hoping to, like, have some better claim to stand on. Uh, it's not like a great, solid claim. Uh, and so Jesus says, like, listen, like, the reason that it exists is because this world is broken, that, that men's hearts are hard, is the only reason that there ever was this possible avenue for divorce. And then he says similar things that we read earlier in verse 9. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, that that person commits adultery. All right? So, like, right? High standard, right? Very high standard compared to, like, what we feel we're used to in, in our culture, like the way that we've, we've grown up. Like, it's something, it's commonplace, this idea of, of divorce. And so I do want to point out that there is this exception, right? There are exceptions here, right? This idea of, of adultery. Jesus said that divorce is permissible in adultery. I do want to highlight the idea that it's, it's permissible. It's not mandatory. So like if that happened in your marriage, all right, if you've been through a season of adultery, Jesus isn't saying you must get divorced. That might be the thing that makes sense for you. You have the liberty to do so. Okay, but uh, it might also be worth it to endure, to, to move beyond just forgiveness, but even to reconciliation, maybe after a season of, of separation or, or counseling or, or what it might be. And, and, and I would encourage this uh, because I know of marriages that have been through that. I know of marriages that have gone through <coughs> a, a season of adultery, right, a season of separation, and then have experienced uh, God's love being worked in them to the point of forgiveness, to the point of reconciliation, to then enjoy decades of good, healthy, faithful, joyful marriage. All right? Like, I know of couples where I've seen this. I've seen how it affects the family. Like, even the adult children 
I've seen how it just completely changes their legacy on the, the generations after them. All right? So, so like, you're within right. And, and I might even encourage you, depending on your situation, to get a divorce in those situations, but it is not mandatory. And sometimes through uh, enduring even difficulty, there might be tremendous blessing on the other side of the valley that you might be walking through right now. All right? So, so I, I don't know. All right? But it's possible, and I've seen it, and, and in those cases, I would say it's worth it. Okay? But uh, in terms of exceptions, just because, uh, you know, you probably know someone who's divorced. You probably, I don't know, there's probably people here that have been divorced. I've been divorced, just so you know. I'll let you know, okay? We can talk about it later. It'll be all right. Uh, but there are other exceptions, okay, that the Bible talks about. In, in 1 Corinthians 7, you don't have to flip there. Uh, Paul answering some questions about marriage and divorce. He says, right, if you're married, don't, don't try to get divorced. Like, be with that person and, and stay with them. Uh, but he does say that if you are a follower of Jesus and your spouse is not, that uh, if they choose to live with you and, like, continue with you, then, then do it. Like, stay with them. That God has called you to be a peacemaker, to be at peace in that situation and in that household, and that, like, you should stay if, they'll, if they're willing to stay. Okay? But he does say that if they want to leave, I'll just read it in uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 15. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. They're not bound to the, like their marriage covenant. And, and God has called you to peace. But he does still say on the end of staying with them, if possible, for how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Right? How do you know that if, if you were to stay with them, if they were willing, that that wouldn't pan out to one day them also becoming a follower of Jesus as they, as they see the love of God demonstrated in your heart? Right? That it's, it's worth it to stick it out if, if they're willing. But, but other than that, uh, marriage is, is typically defined in, until death do us part. Right? This, these exceptions of, of adultery or this idea, this passage sometimes is summarized as a abandonment of, of someone leaving, and it's like, they, they divorced me. Like, I didn't have much say in this. They didn't, you know, they, they chose to make that decision. And, uh, and there are some uh, scriptural kind of logical connections that could be made for the basis of, of abuse as a legitimate reason for divorce. All right, so the idea of adultery, abandonment, and abuse are the, are the typical three reasons where divorce might be, might be legitimate. And in uh, verse 20, 39, though, Paul says this. He says, a wife is bound to her husband as long as she lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. And don't get caught up on the, uh, the wife versus husband thing, like because Paul hits both uh, genders in this chapter. So he, it, it applies to, to every, husbands and wives, okay? Um, but the, the idea is that marriage is this, this gift that God gives that's supposed to be for a lifetime. That's supposed to be for a lifetime. And if you do get remarried, he says right, that they would be, it would be in the Lord, that you'd marry someone who is also a follower of Jesus. And so, so okay, so that's, that's Jesus' standard. But what about if I've been divorced? Right? What about those of us who've already gone through that? How does Jesus feel about us now? 
Like, what, what does Jesus think about me that I've perhaps fallen below his standard? Right? What, what does Jesus think in that situation? And I want to quickly summarize it in John chapter 4. So John is four books into the New Testament. Matthew was the first book of the New Testament. But uh, John chapter 4, Jesus encounters someone who was divorced. And I just want to show you the way that Jesus responds to them so that hopefully we as a church could respond to people who are divorced or separated the way that Jesus responds, right? Because we don't want to just be like, well, here's the standard and now we're just going to like be super judgmental. Like that's not what we want to do. Uh, so let's see, uh, John 4 verse 16. Uh, it says, Jesus said to her, so we met this, this woman at a well getting water in the middle of the day. And he says, uh, they're, they're having this conversation and he's trying to like lead her into salvation basically. And he says, go call your husband and, and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And uh, Jesus said to her, you're right in saying that I have no husband, for you've had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. So what you have said is true. And so like Jesus, just like in uh, gift of the Holy Spirit, like word of knowledge, just like kind of like calls her out on maybe this shameful past that she has. And, and she's like, like, I was just going to pretend I didn't have a husband, and now you just, like, dug up all my paths, right? And in uh, verse 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet, right? Uh, I mean, Jesus seemed to know things about her that uh, a stranger shouldn't know. And if you skip down to verse 25, right, she ends up asking these, like, spiritual questions and, like, getting into a religious conversation. And uh, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ, and when he comes, he'll tell us all things. Like, he'll answer these religious debate questions that you and I are having right now. And, and Jesus said to her, I who speak with you, uh, or speak to you, am he. I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. Right? So he's like, you know, like, I'm this coming Savior that is, is prophesied about in the Bible. I'm here and I'm answering your questions right now. And let's see. Uh... Let's see, verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Then they went out of the town and were coming to him. And if you skip down to verse 39, it says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony, right? That he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him, and he stayed with, uh, there for uh, two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. And so notice the way that Jesus deals with this lady uh, being a divorcee, right? Uh, he's willing to, like, confront the issue. Like, he didn't just, like, ignore it. He didn't, like, pretend it didn't happen. He actually, like, kind of, like, calls her out on it. Like, lady, like, you've been married five times, and now you're, like, shacking up with some guy in town, right? And, like, he's saying this, uh, and Jesus holding to the standard of marriage where he would put that in the category of, of wrong, okay? Uh, but Jesus loves her, right? Jesus is willing to confront her on these areas where, like, she's off and, and use this as a means to minister to the most broken part of her life, right? Like, he's willing to call it out and call it like it is. But Jesus, right, doesn't, right, he doesn't shy away from these issues. And, and he invited this person into 
salvation, into relationship with him. I want to point out, like, divorce is not this unforgivable sin, right? That Jesus, like, loves this lady. And then he, like, equips this lady to go and, like, tell other people about the Messiah, right? That this lady was able to go out and, like, share who Jesus was with other people, even with her past that probably her community knew about. And, and that people were led to Jesus by this woman who had this past. Right, that this person was precious to Jesus, that he wanted to spend eternity with her, and then he was willing to, to use her to reach others. And what I find is interesting was that her ability to reach others was tied up in her story, even in her failings that she had in her past. That she was able to relate to other people and say, listen, like, I know I've failed and I've done all these things, right? But listen, listen, you got to come check out this guy. He's told me everything about myself and he still loves me, right? you got to check out who this is. Could this be the Savior, right? That this woman invited others to Jesus and they believed in him because of her story and eventually his words. So Jesus loves divorced people. But I want to caution you. Uh, if... If, like, divorce is something that, like, you're thinking about right now, don't just be like, well, Jesus will still love me, though. So I think I'm just going to go through with this anyway. I know he says it's wrong, but Jesus will still love me, so I'm just going to, like, commit to my plan and go through with it. Uh, that's not actually a great way to make any decision. Like, when you've got, like you guys do with your spreadsheet and your decision matrix and your flowchart for life, that I know you guys all have when you make important decisions. Uh, you could put in like the pros and the cons column, Jesus still loves me. That it won't actually like weigh one side or the other. Jesus still loves you no matter what you do. Right? Jesus loved us enough to die for us when we were his enemy. Like that that one factor is not going to help you whittle down your list of options. Okay? That it won't... It won't help you distinguish between right and wrong or wise or foolish. Jesus will still love you when you're foolish. All right? Jesus will still love you when you're wrong. Okay? And, and I hope that you recognize that Jesus will love you enough to speak into you the words of truth and life, even when it's not what we want to hear. Right? It's because Jesus loves you that he's going to tell you the truth. And so divorce is this thing that will rarely make life better. And Jesus tells us that because he loves us. Because he wants you to enjoy this good gift that God gave. And that great joy can be found in enduring a faithful right, and loving marriage. That you can, you can go through these seasons of difficulty. Even in fact, like the classic like 1 Corinthians 13 verses, when it, the Bible describes love... Love uh, exists when everything is going hunky-dory, but love is revealed in seasons when it's difficult. All right? That the Bible says that right, love is not self-seeking. So love in my life is not shown until I have opportunity to be selfish instead of thinking of someone else. That love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. That love is not exposed until I have wrongs that I have the opportunity to keep a record of. Right? That love never fails. That love is not seen or observed to people around me until I have good reason or opportunity to fail. Right? That, that love is seen and enjoyed by others in the midst of difficult 
life. All right? And I want to point out as well, because we're, right, I know the way we think, guys. I'm always looking for loopholes, right? Uh, Not getting divorced is not the measure of a good marriage. All right? Like, you shouldn't just, like, well, there's the low bar, like, all right, I, I didn't get divorced, so I'm a good Christian now. No, no, no. Like, it's, uh, it would be unfortunate if you uh, just didn't get divorced, but then just continue to be a jerk to your wife and kids for the rest of your life. Right? Like, there are more commands about marriage that the Bible gives us than just don't get divorced. All right? Uh, so don't get divorced, but also pursue Jesus, grow in his love, learn to love your spouse as Christ loved the church, right? Like, don't just be like, well, I'm content with like just not doing that one thing, but I'm not doing anything else. Like, I'm not going above and beyond. I'm not going to love them like Jesus loves them, right? Like, that's, that's not the way you measure a good marriage, okay? That God wants you to grow in loving your spouse, Let's see, I'm skipping ahead here, skipping ahead. Don't worry, don't worry, I see the clock, we're good. All right, here's the point. Marriage has always been uh, between two imperfect people. And most of the time has been in an imperfect world. Right, marriage uh, was created in the Garden of Eden between Adam and Eve when everything was still right with this world. And I don't know how long it stayed right. It might have been like an hour before they were like, let's go eat that fruit. Uh, Maybe it was years, I don't know. But for the majority of history, marriage has been a good gift in the midst of a broken, fallen world. Between imperfect, sinful people. All right, that that marriage, you're not going to just find someone out there who's perfect, apart from Jesus. Whoever God pairs you up with is going to be a sinner. They're going to fail at times, multiple times. They're going through a season of sanctification, of becoming more like Jesus, and their problems are going to, like, result in you being sanctified more as you're sorting through forgiving them like Jesus does. Right? That whoever you find is going to be broken. You're going to need to learn to offer grace to someone else. That the person that you will likely be hurt by the most is the person that you are going to be the closest with. Right? There's going to be issues that are challenging, right? and it's going to be worth it. They're going to fall and get back up and hopefully go through cycles of right, sin and repentance and growing in God's grace. And whoever you choose to date and engage and eventually marry, like, you're going to likely deal with a subset of their sins you see in them now for the rest of their life. And they might even find some new ones. Right? Like, they are broken just like you and I. And, and that still doesn't make marriage a bad thing. God still calls marriage a good thing. Consider this with me momentarily. Adam and, Adam and Eve's marriage, right? So that, yeah, they get to enjoy this season of perfection unlike the rest of us. But then they had to endure each other's sin. They witnessed their spouse not pursuing God for a season of time. They witnessed their spouse disobeying God and doing their own thing. They went through a season of shame and covering up their sin. They went through a season in which their spouse was blaming them for their problems and their sin. They endured the consequences of not just their own sin, 
but the sin of their spouse. Right? That, that the, their entire world fell because of, they might even say it's their spouse's fault. And their marriage endured that. Right? That, that, that their world had pain and suffering and toil introduced to it and they might think it was more their fault than mine, right? Like they might, no, I think it was Eve, not Adam, right? Like I think it was 90%. Maybe I was responsible like a little bit, but it was mostly them and their marriage endured that. And then when they had kids, they saw their own sins imprinted on their children. They saw their spouse's sins being formed in their kids. Like, imagine, like, how, like, concerning that would be. Like, man, we lived in this perfect world, and, like, now I'm seeing my kids, and you're acting just like your mother. Like, what are you doing? Like, right? Like, what are you doing? Right? They experienced the murder of one of their kids, likely going through frustration and grief and probably blame again, probably thinking of, like, you know, if Eve didn't eat that apple, then this never would have happened to my son. Right? They probably went through this cycle all over again. And then they experienced having to deal with the fact that their other kid was the murderer and was banished. They went through struggles in their marriage. And this was God's design, right? that, that marriage was still this good thing, this good gift in the midst of a broken and fallen world. And that God still thinks marriage is worth it. God still thinks marriage is something that he made especially for you to enjoy on this earth. God thinks marriage is worth it. And so as the worship team comes back up, I just want to take a look at uh, Colossians chapter 3. And uh, this is a, a passage that Paul is writing in terms of like a church family. Uh, that it's just talking about relationships with one another. And... Uh, I think it applies very well in the context of marriage. Uh, there's lots of passages you can read on marriage this week. Come talk to me. I'll get you a list. Or you can just look it up online. Like, ask Google, what does the Bible say about marriage? And you can, like, just hear it from the Bible rather than me. Uh, but Colossians 3, verse 12, <coughs> it says, Put on, then, or right, clothe yourselves as God's uh, chosen ones, holy and beloved. Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, right? That in the church family or in any family or in your marriage, that's the thing that you're going to have to put on every day. And then it says this, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Amen. Right? That the harmony that you desire for your marriage is found in you putting on these things. Right? Like, I'm called to love my wife as Christ loved the church. That's a standard that I strive for and aim for. That is not a standard that I should burden her with. She should strive for it on her own. Right? But I'm going to be disappointed if I'm like, hey, you didn't love me as good as Jesus did. Right? You failed again. Right? You missed it. That's something that we strive for as, as individuals. And that harmony will be found when we put Don't on those things. All right? Amen. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, that you love us, you care for us, you pursue us. Uh, that, God, you love us uh, just the way that we are, but you love us way too much 
to leave us that way. I thank you, God, that you saw the world as lacking something when marriage didn't exist and that you've given it as a gift for us to enjoy. I thank you that marriage is a picture of your relationship with the church, with, with a broken people that you are purifying for yourself that is being made spotless. And God, that, that our marriage is this picture of, of the way that you love us. I pray, God, for the, the marriages in our church family, that, God, you would strengthen them, that you would give us resolve to daily put on mercy and kindness and love and forgiveness for one another. I pray, God, that we would just not aim for the low bar of, of not getting divorced, but we would strive towards loving the other person as you love us. <clears throat> and, God, I just thank you so much for your grace and favor and and Lord, I pray that you would stir up in the hearts of those here uh, that are not yet in relationship with you, that they would know that they could spend eternity with you if they would receive you as their Savior. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.